So we're talking about a national concerns in which we're all part of individually. And I think if anything that's happened over the past uh, three and a half years is that the things that have been uh, a national systemic structured sort of concern to especially people of color and those who have, have been uh, most uh, you know, disenfranchised have now come into the spotlight for the people who have the privileges of not even having to look at those things in the past. And so now we have a national awareness. Welcome to Piecing It All Together. I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. Hey, we're piecing it all together with you. We are doing it this week. This is upcoming only just a few days before the election. And man, is it a crazy time. I have never seen some of the stuff that it comes up in the news cycle is, it's one of those things that people say, I never thought this could happen here. Yeah, this has been a, 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 I never thought this can happen four years for me, so. Yeah, and you were telling me that uh, this, because you are so politically active, that this is like your Super Bowl, this big one-time event where everything's on the line. Oh my gosh, it's like, this is like, well, you know, politics is like my sport, so I don't really keep up with sports at all, like a lot yeah. of dudes do, you know, <laughs> but um, uh, but I do keep up with politics. This is, you know, I, I think in, in another life, I would have been a politician uh, of some sort, uh, but, uh, but this is, uh, you know, it, it, there's a lot on the line in, in any political decision, but there's never been more on the line than there is right now. And, you know, I feel like I've bet everything I own on a particular winner. And so I'm yeah. hoping that that person wins. And, you know, the amazing and, thing is... And, and that not the- that, like, hey, this is my favorite guy, my favorite, you know, yeah. uh, horse or whatever, you know, yeah. but... But we got to move in a different direction, you know, uh, and away from another direction. And the amazing thing is that the the outcome really is undetermined. You you do not know how this is going to go. It's a really live event. Yeah, it's live. So we'll talk about politics uh, a little more, but um, I wanted to tell you a story that I thought you would have some good feedback on and uh, about an online gathering that I hosted and some of the things that came out of it. And I've been waiting to tell you this story. I always look forward to uh, the days that we record. And so I've been saving this to talk to you about. Yeah, I love a good story. (laughs) Well, I don't know if it's not that kind of a story, but on Sunday mornings, I've been hosting this conversation. We've been going through a book called Finding Peace in an Anxious World. Hmm. And it's been a really beautiful, it's not the type of thing I normally do. Um, You know, it's not really, it's not group therapy, but that's what I was afraid it was going to be. But some really, really good stuff has come out of it. Um, You know, whenever you get to talk to people who are from multiple generations, you get different insights. You know, because some some of our, uh, I call them seasoned saints, um, they've seen a lot. Right. They've been through a lot, especially people who can remember 1968. Can I remember 68? I guess I'm a seasoned saint. then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, Woodstock and uh, um, Watergate and, you know, some really big crises, uh, Vietnam 
And so they just bring a really good perspective, but also to have some younger voices who are really plugged in and sort of bring um, an awareness of, you know, like a mood, they often see it coming before those of us who aren't really, you know, digitally connected. Uh, and so anyway, it's been a wonderful conversation and I have enjoyed it greatly. In our final week, um, we had finished the book, but I wanted to integrate it with Shalom in the Community of Creation. So oh, I brought some quotes. Yeah. So I brought some quotes from uh, your book to, and, and I, so I brought a series of questions and I basically said, and we can go through these four questions, but I basically said, when this election is over, no matter who wins, will we have peace? And the obvious answer is no, because we live in such a polarized moment that even if we, if we get 53% of people vote for one person, you know, that means like 45% of those who voted for the other person are going to be upset. It doesn't really matter which way it goes. It doesn't fix what ails us. Right. So it's deeper than that. Yeah. So I think that really provided the context for the rest of our conversation. So then I started asking some other questions. One was, if coronavirus were to just magically go away, right, just magically disappear, does that fix our healthcare industry? And of course, the answer is no. In fact, coronavirus has exposed some real flaws in our medical setup. Exactly. And you're asking rhetorical questions, so I know you're leading to somewhere with this. So. <laughs> All right, so we've got two questions. That's two. Oh, okay. Yep. So then my third one was, you know, if, if quarantine is over and we go back to 2019 or 2018, do we have peace in our economy, in the, in the economics? And of course, that answer is no. I'm guessing no. Yeah, yeah. Because the disparity that was present before this has only been highlighted and accentuated. It's actually gotten worse. That's right. During this time. Now, my last question was um, about the environment. Ecologically, if all of this, so let's say the election goes well, the, the virus magically disappears, the economy rebounds, do we have peace environmentally. Hell no. Right. So it was actually a fascinating way to end our sort of online gathering was to say that all of this stuff that we really focus on and deeply long for, but even if we were to get it, does not get to the root of the problem. Oh, I also said about police reform and the and racial strife. So that was a fifth category. Okay, good. And so in these five areas of politics, the economy, the environment, our medical setup, and race, those five things, even if we got the thing that makes the, the evening news, the headline that draws the spotlight, even if we fix that one thing, 
we haven't addressed the root of the problem. That's right. So that was a really eye-opening thing. And so then it led to a second conversation, which is how do we move towards the type of connectedness and possibility for everyone having a chance to flourish or prosper, right, for the common good, how do we close the circle more than we get? Right. Yeah, close the gap. The equity gap. Yeah. The equity gap. Yeah. So uh, it was a really dynamic conversation. I think it was an odd note to end on because it wasn't a hopeful note, but I think it was an eye-opening conversation for people to realize that all the stuff that gets the lion's share of the attention and really, I mean, let's be honest, like is really upsetting, justifiably gets this amount of coverage and is really concerning. But even if that issue were to go away or get fixed, or we were to revert back to a couple of years ago, you know, it still doesn't bring about Shalom. It doesn't bring about the peace of the connection where everyone can flourish and prosper. Okay. Yeah. So that's the story I've been waiting to tell you because I think that if we went through those five issues, and we don't have to touch on all five of them, but there's something in each of them I would love to pick your brain about. Yeah, well, you know, the thing that would be really interesting is to see if anybody comes back online with you next week. <laughs> you know what? That's actually funny because we are um, we are going we're starting a new series called Where the Rubber Meets the Road. Wow. This past spring, we went through a book called The Church of Us Versus Them. And we talked about the, the, the enemy making machine. That's the subtitle of the book. And that was good. And then this summer we entered into this one about finding peace in an anxious world. And now we're going to try and put those two in, in dialogue together. And so I don't know if anybody's going to come back. So uh, I'm actually really excited about it. So what I asked is that everybody send in an article um, that, that, or a video or something that inspired them, then we can all read it or watch it and then come together and talk about it and say, but what does it look like practically on the ground in our concrete lived experience? What do we do? Yeah. So, so we're talking about a national, uh, national concerns, um, in which we're all part of individually. And I think if anything that's happened over the past, uh, three and a half years is that, um, the things that have been uh, a national, systemic, structured sort of concern to especially people of color and those who have, have been uh, most uh, you know, disenfranchised ha have now come into the spotlight for the people who have the privileges of not even having to look at those things in the past. And so now we have a national awareness of some of the problems. Now, some people accept those and others don't, but a lot of people now are aware of things that they were never aware of before. Mm. So in, in that, uh, this is a good thing. Um, and so what this does, I believe, is set the stage so that we can deal with this at a national structural level. 
So the, the sort of American individualism says, oh, let's all get our relationships right and not have personal prejudice and everything will be fine. But that has never worked. And so what works is that we actually change a structure, change the system, and then people begin to accommodate that system and assimilate into it and integrate it, the values of that system. And so, and it does work both ways, but I'm just saying that we have it backwards, right? So mm -hmm. um, it's, it's this idea of the we has to change before the me is really going to do a lot of changing. And, uh, and we've always done it the other way around in America. Yeah. Boy, that is, that is ringing true as, uh, as I sit here because the resistance that I have seen to each of these topics that we're talking about really does center around an, a conception of the individual where that takes priority. It's primary. It's first. Um, and that's in everything. So that's whether like, well, I'm not racist or, well, I have freedom to not wear a mask or we to, to go to church or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. I, I worked hard for everything I have. They can work hard yeah. too. You know? So, right. uh, you know, it, it is, it is to me the will be the perfect time, especially if uh, Trump does not get reelected um, to, uh, to have what I've been calling for for years, which are national listening conferences that we go, we have a, a, a number of well-known national peacemakers, you know, folks of the caliber of Jimmy Carter and, you know, uh, Dalai Lama and, and others who are sort of like at that level, right? People who, from, from a number of different representative groups, and they sort of go around with the, the local people of stature in those areas. And these are people who, you know, from all those categories who've been disenfranchised. And that we draw people together and we give an incentive. That's uh, a national education program. We give an incentive for people to come and just listen to the stories. Now, laced into that, you have some top uh, sort of like stories because as human beings, we love story. You know, we yeah. find ourselves in the story. And so you show the story of some personal relationships being healed and what the goal might be look like, you know, in one way. And that we do that across the whole nation and that we just take a year or two and we have listening conferences. And and with that, then the, the first time a, a lot of people, most people will hear Native American story for the very first time, uh, you know, from from their own uh, perspective. So. I think that that's the kind of thing that I would like to see. And that's the kind of thing that I think could eventually heal our nation. Um, and so, you know, that's the best solution that I can come up with on a national level. But we also have to be having regional and local uh, kind of working groups with this going on, too. Now, I've seen this happen. You know who used to do something like this? Billy Graham. Huh. It was a different content. These were his evangelistic crusades, but he employed local groups, regional groups, and national people to go around and do this thing, right? For his quote unquote crusades, which is one of the most horrible words around. <laughs> but, uh, but, but that same kind of strategy can work in healing America. And uh, there's nothing I would love more to, to, to see people begin to talk to each other and, and heal. Just one thing about story. There was a, a video that came on, and I think it might have been CBS, but I can't remember for sure. It was called um, Finding 
David Wilson. Okay. And it was about a story about a, a white guy in Pennsylvania or New York. I can't remember which, um, whose name was David Wilson. And he had found, found out that his family owned slaves, uh, owned people who were enslaved a, a number of years uh, prior, of course. And he goes back to, I think it's South Carolina. Um, don't hold me, you know, to these uh, particulars. Yeah. <clears throat> and he finds another guy about his age named David Wilson, who is a descendant. And these two David Wilsons get together and they talk and they create relationship. And, you know, it's a, it's sort of a, and I don't know, you know, how far it goes or what goes on, but, but it was a very touching story. And huh. um, those are the kinds of things that we need to see together now just seeing them in your own individual living room doesn't make the difference that you would at a you know a big gathering right mm -hmm. all experiencing it together mm -hmm. um, and so this is what i would like to advocate for is you know uh, at least one year that we set aside you know as yeah. a, a national uh, healing uh, time for healing and um, listening conferences oh man you know the two things that really resonate with me in that is what we're doing now clearly isn't working and is only inflaming the problem. So we can't keep investing our energy and our time and even our words in the same way that we have been. We're digging a deeper hole. So I, I love the idea if somebody could provide leadership and facilitate just spending our time a different way, right? Putting our energies into a different configuration because it can't go worse than it's going now. Yeah. And if there's anybody listening who actually could support such an event, I would definitely change everything in my life and put the, uh, my effort into it for the next several years. But um, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, uh, I'm just a poor native guy who has no money. So, um, you know, I'd like to see this vision happen um, and, and find the people who would uh, collaborate in uh, such a vision. But uh, we need backers, of course, for something like that. Yeah. The second thing that catches my attention is we all know that there is an increasing problem with, um, they call them echo chambers, because social media is self-selecting and you can mute people or unfriend people if you don't want to hear what they had to say. And so we've created uh, a self-reinforcing uh, echo chamber where we're only hearing perspectives that we already agree with. This is uh, a humbling to say, I need to hear from people who I don't know that I agree with ahead of time. And so there would be, a, I mean, it would be a, such a massive and radical redirection of our energies to get out of our echo chambers and our self-reinforcing silos to say, I want to reach across the aisle and I want to hear from people whose experience of being human has been very different than mine. Yeah, I, and there'd have to be some kind of incentive to get people there who would be 
you know, would say, oh, well, this is just a bunch of liberals wanting to, you know, <laughs> brainwash me or whatever. So uh, there would have to be some kind of incentive from you know, the United States, like on, probably on your taxes, you know, some kind of, yeah. you know, uh, 5% tax forgiveness for uh, attending and mm. you know, being involved at your local meetings and your national meeting or something like that. Who Whoa. That would take so much coordination, but like I said, <laughs> what we're doing now clearly isn't working. So we can't, we can't continue down this road. Well, we can. And if there's anything true about uh, the history <laughs> in America is that we will continue to march down the road of oppression as long as um, we are able. So, um, so the only way to uh, disable that mm. sort of uh, uh, particular yeah. partisanship and and uh, worldview and everything is to incentivize doing something different. Mm. That's the bottom line. So the us versus them mentality in our politics is a massive problem because our politicians aren't actually representing us. They are playing team uh, loyalty so that they don't get primaried and they're accountable not to the people that they represent, but to the lobby interests of big money. Mm -hmm. So our politics are in real danger. Yeah, our healthcare is that. I mean, that's, that's a pretty easy fix. You know, there's, there's easy fixes to all this stuff, right? Hmm. Um, it's, it's not as complicated as we think. You know, it's complex in that there's a lot of moving parts. But, you know, I mean, uh, in, in, um, when John McCain was uh, doing the primary against George Bush, you remember that time? Mm -hmm. You know, he was, uh, one of the things he was doing, and I'm not, you know, I mean, John McCain, yeah, I respect him in a different, lots of different levels, but also I, I don't in, in others. You know, he was a human being and he was a Republican. And sure. he, was, he had his views that were different than mine, but I still can respect the man. Sure. To a degree. Um, but, you know, he was running on campaign finance reform. Yeah. You know, and uh, the, the problem is, is that you, you can't get a voice in there that's honest enough up to the level that needs to make change yeah. that will run on campaign finance reform. But there's lots of proposals that are out there. There's, there's lots of people who have been down this road before. And it's, it's pretty simple what has to happen to get money out of politics. But, you know, the, the point is, is that, you know, in, in this country, you have to uh, have a grassroots movement uh, enough to empower people to tell them, we will no longer vote for you if you don't do this. And that's sort of how it has to happen. And wow. we certainly get a lot of uh, practice protesting in the last few years, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. And, and lots of people for the first time have entered into that arena, people who have never participated in that way before. Yeah. And yeah. Go so it. then in our healthcare, you know, the way that uh, insurance currently works, so many of our citizens are vulnerable and really, um, you know, uncovered and it, it causes a weight on the entire system. You know, we're in this web together. And so that's, when a, they, that's a simple fix too. Okay. I mean, it, you just do not tie, you, you make healthcare or uh, uh, equitable healthcare, a right of every citizen, and you no longer tie it to a person's job. I mean, that's a pretty simple fix. 
huh. But, and we've seen politicians, you know, this is Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders and others yeah. who, who have been, who have all the statistics to back it up, who've been floating this, but, but, you know, then there's all the, and I don't think people are really, uh, uh, there's any fear of socialism here, right. but this is the bugaboo that, you know, the, that uh, Trump and his minions dreamed up to yeah. say, oh, they're all socialists. If you believe this, it's socialism. It's, you know, as this socialism alone is such a bad thing and, you know, and, and it's going to lead to communism. And, and of course it has in countries like communist Canada and communist Denmark and, you know, communist France and England. Yeah. It's, it's really, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, I know it's a scare tactic and a boogeyman. All right. So then we have the economy and that even if we were to return to our 2019, 2018 economy, it does not fix the growing disparity that is causing so much of this uh, cultural conflict and social unrest. Yeah, and so, you know, and and the economy is directly tied in to the environment, right? To what I call the community of creation. So let's talk about those together. Okay. Okay. So the the first thing that we have to do is to uh, secure national rights um, for the earth. Uh, we, we have to uh, convey rights of personhood to the earth. Corporations have rights of personhood, but earth does not. The earth which supports those corporations does not have rights. The fastest way to stop the abuse in the environment is to give uh, uh, earth rights, right? Huh. There are lots of organizations that are working hard to do that and have plans. There are uh, countries, whole countries like Bolivia and Ecuador who have done that. And there are even cities. And I think uh, Pittsburgh, I, I heard maybe one of those cities that Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who's given, um, you know, the earth in their area uh, human rights. And so um, that's the number one thing you have to do to fix it. Then what do you do? So uh, one, because we've been a corporatocracy for so long, we have to uh, de-incentivize these sort of large corporations uh, to the point where they no longer can influence politics, right? And so we've, we've already taken care of that by, by doing away with, you know, lobbyists, basically. So we, we lobbyists are not allowed to, to uh, you know, take up, you know, like three out of every five visits at politicians' offices anymore. You have to uh, somehow put a stop to that. These things are all tied together, by the way. Um, and then you have things like the Green New Deal or you have Joe Biden's plan, you know, mm-hmm. which is moving in the right direction. I don't think it's as comprehensive as the Green New Deal. But but now all of a sudden, all the jobs have to do with the green economy. Right. Um, and uh, and you begin to to change this and you you're putting people to work and all this. I think this is this is not a bad plan that he has. It's moving in the right direction. Uh, I don't think it goes near far enough, but it's moving in the right direction. And so. You know, I, I think these are fairly easy fixes too. people uh, who need a job by and large don't care what kind of a job they get. Like I'm speaking right now for uh, three of my four children are unemployed or underemployed right now, you know, and they'll take anything. Right. Hmm. And so um, and I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way and would and they would be they would love uh, to be able to do something that that helps the environment in some way uh, helps us move towards those goals. Oh, boy. You know, FDR, when he did his New Deal, um, you know how he paid for it? 
No. Yeah, he went to the Rockefellers and the Gettys and, and you know, all of those folks. And he said, guess what? You're going to pay for this thing. <laughs> and they went for it. So huh. we go to the, the, the Microsofts and to the, you know, the Googles Amazon. and, you know, in the Facebooks and, you know, uh, all of those folks. And we say, including the oil companies, et cetera, um, you're going to pay for these things. And uh, if not, all hell's going to be released on you. And, and so they're making billions upon billions upon billions of dollars they need to give back to the people that they've been taking so much money from mm. and uh and, and and i'm sure they can get some incentive along the way that's non-financial um and uh and, and some of those probably need to be broken up these are monopolies right mm. uh, but people much smarter than me to yeah. think about so um and, and so you know we get them to pay for it so that the american taxpayer is not having to to shoulder the burden uh, of having been taken advantage of for so long and then having to be taken advantage of longer to fix it. Hmm. Randy, honestly, this is as hopeful a conversation as I had uh, wanted, but now we come to a really big one, which is even if we were to do something with police reform, and by the way, I am just convinced that one of the reasons policing is so dangerous in our country is because of our gun culture, and no one wants to talk about that. But even if we were to fix the, the policing that makes the evening news, we haven't fixed the racial tension in this country. Right. So the whole justice system is set up for a particular person that is a wealthier white person. Right. Um, and and the, and the criminal justice system, including the whole uh, judicial system, prison system and the policing system, law enforcement is set up to favor white males. And so I think, again, there's a number of things that can be done to to uh, fix that. Um, I, I really believe what uh, Biden says when he says, you know, who hates uh, dirty cops as much as anybody? Cops who aren't dirty. Hmm. Um, but but they have to form that that uh, blue wall. Right. When. Line, uh, yeah. so, so we need to somehow get behind that. Uh, we need to do police reform. Um, we need to do criminal justice reform and we definitely need to do uh, prison reform. So all of those things also. Hmm can be done. There's a lot of experts who've been writing about these things for years. We need to do away with our private prisons. Um, we need to decriminalize uh, the uh, small drug drug user, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. penalties and, and instead make rehab affordable. And, uh, and rehab, you know, everybody thinks, oh, go to rehab. Do you know what? It costs a lot of money. I'm talking about a heck of a lot of money to go to rehab. Um, and most people can't get in and their insurance doesn't cover it. And so this is not a friendly system for people who want to get help. Wow. So we need to, we need to look at that. Um, you know, what's the other thing uh, we, we need to uh, um, sort of create incentive for black and brown people to, uh, to have more influence in the criminal justice system than they do have right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, listen, I love the race system. What's going to change the race system back to the first thing I talked about the listening conferences. 
when you hear stories like, you know, I, I think it was called Finding David Wilson. When you, you know, when you see stories like that and you see healing taking place between two people and then maybe two families um, that are really of the same family and now they realize it, um, that changes people's lives, right? Mm. So, um, so there's a, an and... You know, the people uh, sort of north of the Mason-Dixon line need this as much as the people south of the Mason-Dixon line. Now, I've lived in both. <laughs> I'm immersed in both. And I understand there's no adage in the south, right? And that is in the south, they love the man and hate the race. Talking about white people, love black people. Uh, I mean, love love a black person, but hate the race, right? <laughs> and, and I don't want to mischaracterize. There's a lot of progressive Southern people who don't feel that way, but this is the old adage, right? Okay. And that is, you know, well, I can get along with, you know, with uh, uh, this guy, David Wilson, let's just use that name when we're using it. Um, uh, because, you know, at work, we work together and, uh, you know, uh, you know, sometimes we trade our sandwiches and lunch boxes and you know he likes to go fishing for catfish just like I do and hunt and and he eats greens and butter beans and and cornbread just like I do and you know it's it's sort of a like you know hey well this and the idea is well he's not like the resto right mm -hmm. I've heard this not yeah. one of them right uh -huh. but in the north they say they they love the race and hate the man so, you know, oh, I love black people. You know, uh, I feel, you know, I have, I have several black friends, mm. you know, um, you know, I, I'm for all the black causes in black lives matter, you know, uh, but don't let me get that close. Right. Mm -hmm. Don't let my daughter spend the night at, at your daughter's pajama party, you know, um, and so this is something that we all need. This is not just a problem endemic to the South. This is something for all of us. And we all have our different kinds of prejudices, um, whether it's, you know, for LGBTQ, whether it's for just women and men, whether it's racial, um, whether it's immigrant and, um, uh, and the people who have been here a little longer. Uh, and uh, I, should, I was going to say immigrant and older immigrants. <laughs> um, you know, all of these things, uh, we need to hear these stories, we need to see the healing, we need to have listening conferences so people can actually kind of learn to love one another again, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and when I say again, I mean that, you know, that, that at one time, we were all one race, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's, a, and, and we still are, um, it's just that we've created these social categories, right? These, um, mm -hmm. you know, different races. So we need to be one family again. Mm. Um, we were, we all come from the sort of, you know, same, same place. We all come out of North Africa, um, kind of uh, central North Africa, actually. Mm. Um, we all are relatives. We're all related to one another and, in terms of the environment, we're related to everything else too. And it doesn't matter whether you believe that in, in a, you know, uh, like an evolutionary sense or a, what's the conservative kind of uh, intelligent design, intelligent design or whatever, you know, the truth is, is that we share like, you know, I think uh, 60 some percent of a daffodils DNA, you know, like, you know, so uh, 80, 90% or something of a chimpanzee's DNA. So we are related. 
You know, we're made from the same kind of stuff, whether you believe in intelligent design or evolution or whatever your myth is that you believe in, you know, we're all related and we're all connected to each other. And so, you know, we have to become relatives again. That's the whole point is so that we can become relatives once again. Beautiful. Beautiful. Hey, we wanted to close with a couple book recommendations. You have a book you want to tell people about, and I have one that I want to recommend. Yeah. Uh, so, so this one, um, I, I'm reading my first graphic novel. Yeah, I love graphic novels. Yeah, I've never read one before. It's really fascinating because like all of a sudden I'm halfway through the book. <laughs> um, so uh, this one just came out. It's just available right now, um, hot off the press, as they say. And it's uh, the story of Redbone. Redbone, the true story of a Native American rock band. And uh, Redbone is, uh, you know, very inspiring to me because as a kid, um, when you saw the first Native American band in like, you know, the the charts, the top of the charts, they were on the Midnight Special uh, a number of years ago. That was a thing that nobody else remembers but us old people. But... um, and uh, it was like, you know, it, it was amazing. See, white people haven't had that problem. Black people haven't had that problem, you know. Um, but to see, you know, Native American people up there and everybody loving their music and them sort of displaying their Indianness and that sort of thing was incredible. And so this is a story about the band Redbone. And, of course, their their number one hit song was Come and Get Your Love, right? Yeah. Uh, everybody knows that. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a proud moment, I think, for Native people to, to have this come out. But if, you know, it's sort of like when, when we first saw the movie Rumble, right, or the, the documentary Rumble. Have you seen that? No. What? No. Oh, Rumble. Rumble. Okay. Everybody has to see the documentary Rumble. Okay. It's, it's called Rumble, the Indians Who Rocked the World. Okay. <laughs> And, and this tells the roots of most American music comes from Native America. And, huh. and it's just one, one uh, other uh, large area which Native people have contributed to that most other people don't know anything about, right? <laughs> huh. I'm, this is great. We should do recommendations every time we record. This is fantastic. All right. What do you got? I read this book called The End of White Christian America when it first came out. I think I read it in 2017, but I had forgotten how interesting it was. And I had an audible credit. So I got it on audible and I've been listening to it as I bike. Cause I've recently started biking. Cool. Randy, this thing is so good. It is honestly, it's one of the best listens I've ever uh, gotten into, but here's the thing. It's not just about race, even though it says white Christian America, and it's not just about religion. It is one of the most interesting looks at the history of the last couple hundred years, taken from a a really specific sort of snapshot. But then the author, Robert Jones, takes it and does some really good analysis that feels so relevant to 2020, I cannot recommend this uh, highly enough. Oh, so wow. that's what, great. I love history, right? So yeah. um, I've got that book. Oh, I just saw it the other day, but I haven't read it yet. So um, I, oh. I have to pick it up after my graphic novels done here. Which yeah. So one of the really cool things is at the beginning of the book, 
um, he takes an elevator ride up the Empire State Building. And on the side of the elevator, the inside of the elevator is a screen. And they've done this sort of a hologram thing that as you go up all the stories of the Empire State Building, that you start with the trees back before New Amsterdam. So, mm-hmm. you know, 1600s, you start with the trees that were now Manhattan. And as you get above the trees, then you start going forward in time. And as you go up, 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 you get all the way up through 9-11, you see the Twin Towers, and then you continue. So this elevator ride becomes sort of a framing metaphor for progressing through the history. It is such a genius way to talk about it and the changes in America and where those changes are rooted and what are the priorities I am loving this book. Oh, good. I'm going to have to read it. I appreciate that. Have you done any podcasts lately? I have not done any podcasting lately. I've done a few. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we can recommend uh, a a couple. Uh, Okay. I did one uh, a little while back. It was just released uh, maybe three weeks ago called Refugia. Uh, R-E-F-U-G-I-A, Refugia. So that was kind of good. And... um, uh, you know, that, 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 I, you know, she doesn't have a whole lot out, but she has real quality. It's kind of like uh, on bean with Kristen Tippett. Yeah. Okay. A, a version like that. And then the, the last one I did, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, I think it's definitely probably the best thing I've ever done as a guest on a podcast is with uh, Circlewood. Um, they're called earth keepers, a Circlewood podcast. And that's at uh, circlewood.online slash earth keepers. And that one uh, was called Indigenizing Our Worldviews, A Native Vision for Earthkeeping with Randy Woodley. And Forrest Inslee was the host. Um, Forrest Inslee, who is related to Governor Jay Inslee in Washington. And uh, um, that was just a really enjoyable, enjoyable podcast. And I got to say some things in that that I probably have never said before. And it made me think. So I really appreciated the the questioning that went on there. So I'd highly recommend that for people who are especially interested in the whole community of creation. All right. Well, listeners, I will link to that in the show notes. We want to thank you for your shares, for your comments, for your interactions. If you think that this hopeful conversation that we've had today would be good for somebody, especially somebody who's a little frazzled by uh, this current election cycle, and could use something a little different to listen to, uh, please share this widely with your friends and your circles. We are grateful for our Patreon supporters who continue to support us and make this possible. And we want to say thank you. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, we're at uh, Piecing It All Together, and that's P-E-A-C, Piecing It All Together. Yep, and uh, we will see you on the other side of the election. Peace out.